Melon and Macabre. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Amy. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, I had a very like or like an unusually busy Saturday today because usually my Saturdays are very empty. I don't do anything. Mm-hmm. But today I met up with my mom for lunch. We went to this place in um, where I live called um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called maybe I shouldn't. Uh, well, I guess there's it was a steak house. Okay, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Let's just leave it at that. It's yeah. just, okay. It was steak house mm-hmm. and it's very good. Um, she did let me know that she listened to the first episode Uh-oh. of our podcast, and she said that while she was like halfway through listening to it, a curtain rod upstairs fell down mysteriously. <laughs> so she got nervous and stopped listening to it. Oh so, no, your poor mom. <laughs> so I didn't dig much deeper into it, but she got yeah. nervous because she was concerned that maybe the voodoo topics were. <laughs> something something to be concerned about yeah and i i also informed her that the grigri bags that i talk about mm-hmm. in the first podcast that i bought in new orleans i mm-hmm. they're still in her house in my old room oh so. no your poor mother <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. my mom doesn't even know that this podcast exists and we're gonna keep it that way because she's gonna want to know what it's about and it really this podcast goes against everything she stands for like it's if she knew <laughs> Like I actually, um, so for those of you guys that don't know, this is like the first time you're tuning in. We probably should have actually started it with this particular thing, but Melanin Macabre is a podcast dedicated to telling spooky, creepy, true crime stories. Um, Anything under the umbrella of just like creepy and mysterious, Um, Mm -hmm. but specifically focused on um, people of color, like marginalized groups. Um, And Mm -hmm. so my parents are like super against all this stuff. And actually, I was like walking my dog with my dad the other day, um, and I just out of nowhere, I was like, you know what, dad? I was like, I really like Halloween. And for those of you that don't know me or don't know my family, Halloween was like strictly prohibited in my house due to religious reasons. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I actually like Halloween. I like creepy things. Like I like, I just, I just like it. Uh, I like it for what it is, not for what my Mm -hmm. parents believe like it originally started as and so um and then my dad was like no comment and then we just kept walking and we like never talked about it again (laughs) so yeah so I definitely don't think my parents would want especially if they like saw that I researched La Llorona they'd be like oh my gosh like how could you so um so yeah so like (laughs) but um but yeah so but if you are into creepy spooky stuff then this podcast is the right one for you Yes. Um, please, please tune in. Yes. Um, so today we are focusing, I guess we're focusing on um, maybe like missing people or people who went missing. Um, mm-hmm. So the reason, I don't know, the reason why I brought this idea up to you, Kristen, was because with the whole like Gabby Petito, I think that's her last name, Gabby Petito case. You've, you've been following mm-hmm. up with that, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And so um, I think... I'll just say a disclaimer right now. I personally believe that every single missing person in the United States should get the attention that Gabby Petito's case got. Um, I definitely, I definitely don't want to take away from the tragedy that was her case. I definitely, the more I read about it, the more my heart hurts for her um, and her family, because 
it's just so heartbreaking and i just as a woman just to think that to to have that happen to you at you know in the hands of a person that you loved mm-hmm. and also when we see how toxic and volatile that relationship was um it really like my heart goes out to her and so i definitely feel like the the attention that she's gotten and her case has gotten is definitely warranted and i definitely hope that her family finds justice for gabby but also at the same time i do believe that um sometimes our like the media i'm not even gonna say sometimes almost always you know we don't really put a lot of attention on people of color who go missing and yes her case was her case was interesting because there was a lot of um there was a lot of like evidence circumstantial evidence or just evidence that was like we know who did it why isn't he in jail yet and so i think that is also what kind of sparked the interest of that case um but at the same time there have been cases where there's been less evidence the guilty party has been less obvious but because of the color and the lifestyle that this person led that person gets more attention like for example you could have another white woman who goes missing but if she's a drug addict or if she's a sex worker, then those cases tend to get less attention. Because I think mm-hmm. us as a society, we tend to believe that, you know, if you lead that t- sort of lifestyle, you kind of like should know what's coming. Um, and but also with people of color, it just kind of seems like we subconsciously, I don't think it's because people out there are malicious and that they don't, it's not that they don't care about people of color, in my opinion. But I think that as a society, we're just kind of we're sort of tailored to sort of peak our for certain things to peak our interest. And I think that sometimes um, people who look a certain way will peak our interest more than others. And so the reason I brought this case up to you is or like this concept to you is just because I feel like there are, I've seen a lot of people of color missing lately. And that's one of the good things that, ha- you know, like, it's one of the good things that came out of the uh, Gabby's case was that, you know, people were using the opportunity to to shed light on missing people's cases and so a couple you know reading up on them on reddit i was like wow i can't believe i've never heard of this and it happened like two months ago three months ago so i don't know i don't know about you kristen but i think this is like something that we should keep going as like the podcast comes along um because reading some of these cases and choosing the cases really broke my heart because i was like i wish i had the time to research all of these cases um, but unfortunately, yeah. I have a I'm a teacher, so I have not a nine to five job. I have like a seven to seven to eight hour job. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so but I feel like, yeah. you know, the cases that we talk about, you know, will give them the attention and the respect that they deserve. Um, I just spent like three minutes talking. Kristen, did you want to add anything else? (laughs) No, I really like, I really love the way you set that up. I basically like pretty much echo um, everything that you said. I also, I put in my notes to mention that um, the Gabby Petito case, like that's immediately what came to mind when I was researching um, the cases that I want to like uplift in our episode today. Um, And basically that that's a huge, this is a huge blind spot within the other blind spots within law enforcement and in the media that like we never really hear about missing non-white people um and it's really it's really is like very heartbreaking like I very I very much agree when I was looking like I couldn't even I had a hard time picking because I'm like well out of all these out of all these people who are missing like who can I who can I possibly decide to highlight um, 
And at the end of the day, I believe that law enforcement and the media have a responsibility to investigate and report on missing persons cases equally. Like, I 100% agree with you, Amy. Absolutely. My heart was breaking when I was reading about um, Gabby Petito's case as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But, not but, and um, all the other missing people out there, missing um, black women, missing, just non-white people who don't usually get the, um, who don't usually get the attention in media, they deserve that exact same treatment. And so I definitely want us to keep talking about the, about this and keep uplifting because there's just so many different there's so many cases to um to look into yeah um so on that note do you want to get started yes um i can go ahead and go first if you want my i have a feeling like i was telling amy earlier i think my mine are going to be a little bit shorter so i'll i can go first since it'll be kind of sure yeah i'll just sit back and listen (laughs) um okay so, like I was saying before, uh, getting information for this episode was very overwhelming. Um, like I said, there's so many missing people, not even just missing people of color, but just missing people in general in the United States. Um, I was looking yeah. up some statistics, um, and according to the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, which is, I think they call it, like, the acronym is NAMUS. Um, mm-hmm. and they basically have a, like all the records of the people who go missing and also unidentified bodies, um, that they have found, they found that around 600 over, but around 600,000 people go missing every single year. That in is the U S in the U S. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How have we that not, is, how, how is the American population still going? If that many people go missing, I, that's so crazy. I don't know. And then within that, black, um, specifically black and um, indigenous populations, they make up a disproportionate rate of active missing person cases. So yeah. according to FBI data from 2020, black people represent 35% of missing persons reports, but they only make up 13% of the U.S. population. And as a contrast, white people make up 54% of missing persons reports, and they represent 76% of the population. So that's just like an example wow. example of, yeah, like black people specifically um, are going missing at disproportionate rates, but the attention is mainly going yeah. towards um, white white people who go missing. And despite the fact um, that they're disappearing at disproportionate rates. Missing white women specifically, for example, tend to get more attention from the media and from law enforcement, which this has been referred to as, quote-unquote, missing white woman syndrome. Um, I tried to look up a little bit more research, but there isn't actually any research on this phenomenon. I found one paper, I think his name was Zach Summers, and he wrote about missing white woman syndrome. Um so like we were saying before, Gabby Petito, this is a good example of this. Um, and again, we're not implying that Gabby didn't deserve the media attention she got, um, right. but that non-white people deserve the same level of attention. Yes. So the first 
uh, missing persons case that I want to go over is one that occurred is both of them occurred relatively recently, but um, the first one is Daniel Robinson. Um, so I'm getting most of this information from the change.org petition that his family has set up. Um, there's also um, a couple of news stories I saw from like CNN, I think the, uh, the Guardian, um, that talk about his case. Um, but Daniel Robinson is a 24-year-old man who went missing after leaving his work site in the Buckeye, Arizona desert in his Jeep mm. on June 23rd. 2021 so this was what are we in october so this was a few months ago oh i think um, i might have heard of this case i think i might have seen it on the mm-hmm. internet okay keep going keep going yeah Ow. So, sorry just elbowed myself <laughs> so basically here's what we know very little but what we do know about his disappearance was that daniel's car was discovered by a rancher on july 13th so he was last heard from on june 23rd and his car was found on july 13th 2021 a couple miles away from the work site where he was last seen um it appeared as though his car was involved in a crash and Ooh. all of his clothing i'm assuming the clothing that he was wearing and his belongings were found nearby like near the car um that's so he's it like naked yeah yeah that's it he's supposedly out out here somewhere naked um that's all we know and the issue is that his father, David Robinson, has grown frustrated with the lack of urgency and support around investigating his son dis- his son's disappearance. So he's actually relocated from South Carolina to Arizona, and he's hired his own private investigator for them both to lead their own kind of like uh, private, their own private investigation right. um, of Daniel's disappearance because they feel like the the police, the law enforcement in Arizona aren't doing enough to investigate um, the case. And the local police say that they're doing enough. And apparently they've said that they're, they've followed up on every single lead they have and they've reviewed all the evidence. Um, and as of right now, the police are considering that they're basically saying that no foul play is suspected. And yeah. And they believe that Buckeye, um, they believe that Daniel was in an accident, which resulted in his disappearance. They think that he must have got into a car accident. Maybe, I guess, his body was thrown from the car, and they just haven't found it in the desert. But um, if you're thrown from a car, does that magically may- mean all of your clothes get taken off and you go flying out the window naked? I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't think, think so happens. either. I think yeah. your clothes kind of stay intact. That's so... Anything, okay, maybe that's, I'm mad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, sh- I believe your shoes fly up. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. bad. Okay, keep going. <laughs> right, it <laughs> gets good. worse. So, oh geez, the the police department conducted two searches that resulted in no findings. However, and this is crazy. So the Robinson family, remember how I was saying that they basically decided to conduct their own investigation outside of the police right. department. They conducted their own search. In fact, they did seven searches in the exact same area that the Buckeye police said that they also conducted a search. And they found the remains of six people. Six people, not not including Daniel. But they found six people. How in the world are amateur investigators out here finding human remains when the professionals are supposedly 
doing the same thing and haven't found any remains. I don't understand that. So. Wow. That was not expected that. I thought you were going to tell me that like they found his remains. But then when you told me like six people, I was like, ooh, that does not look good for the police. Because that's obvious. Because that's obviously you didn't look. Obviously you didn't. Because I feel, I don't know, like depending on. I feel like depending on how deep in the ground they were, you could have gotten some cadaver dogs out there. And I feel like, I mean, my, like my dog is a, is a, I love my dog, but he's a dumb pug and he could sniff out, he can sniff out anything. And that dog is not a professionally trained dog. And I just feel like if you brought cadaver dogs out there, they could find at least one unidentified body. And now you're telling me that they found six. Six. That's crazy. So the family does believe that found play Foul, found, wow. Foul play was the reason <laughs> for Daniel's yeah. appearance. Um, here's why. So, like I said before, Daniel's Jeep was found and appears that there was a crash. Like, the car was in a crash. Mm-hmm. So, okay. The police conducted a search of the car's black box, which I'm assuming is similar to the black box in a plane. That's how you figure out, like, why a plane crashed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if say- black boxes, though. Me neither. That's creepy. So they're saying that the data in the black box shows that Daniel was driving at over 30 miles per hour um, when the car made impact with something, crashed, and then rolled over, and the airbags deployed. Okay? So the private investigator and the family looked at the exact same black box data, and they concluded that the vehicle was actually driving under 30 miles per hour, and that the car was driven over seven miles after the initial crash and after the airbag deployment. So that is odd. And not only that, but the damage on the car, they're saying, was not consistent with where the vehicle was found, nor did it match the terrain of the desert where it was found. So David... Yeah, right? Um, So clearly they've uncovered that it appears as though something something not right is going on here and david robinson believes that the police are either unable to read and interpret their own data um or potentially may be purposefully misleading him as to the cause of um this as the cause of the disappearance um and david and the private investigator believe that daniel's car was staged to look like an accident and that a crime indeed has occurred. But the thing, but here's the thing is that Buckeye PD, they have the theory in their heads that this was an accident and they're not willing to act on any new information. They have it in their heads that this was an accident. And so they're not, they don't want to pursue another Avenue that maybe this was actually um, a criminal thing happening. See, this is like a tale as old as time and you get this mm-hmm. so much like I don't. OK, so I don't want to be out here hating on cops because I do feel like they have a very difficult job and I do think that they're underpaid for sure for the amount of because I think in my I think they actually get paid in Latin, at least um, at least in Virginia. I think they get less like paid less than teachers, I think. Um, mm. So I. Yeah, so I definitely feel like, you know. You should give them credit where credit's due. But I also feel like it's not just a police thing. I think it's like a human thing. And unfortunately, with police officers, it affects their job the most, I think. But there's that tunnel vision of you're so focused 
on one thing. Yeah, it's kind of like, what is it called? Ah, it's like my psych 101. Mm-hmm. Cognitive dissonance? Is that what I'm thinking about? But I don't know. It's just kind of like get it in their head. They get this tunnel vision of like, this is what I think it is. And then they don't mm-hmm. really look at outside evidence, which we have seen with several cases where it's very detrimental to the case to think that yep. way. But then also, mm-hmm. I also have this I also have this feeling though that sometimes cops they don't want to fess up when they've messed up because mm-hmm. they have to like uphold this image of the yep. police force. Um, and I think especially now with the whole like George Floyd thing, like I, I definitely think that police officers, like the police departments are doing more to improve their image. And I mm-hmm. feel but I just feel like I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased, but I'm just like, I just feel like if cops would just fess up and be like, we messed up, we need to look at this from a newer angle. I just feel like that would be more efficient in the long run. Yeah. Because if the end goal is simply to get justice served and to find people who are missing, who cares if your ego takes a hit or who cares yeah. if your department takes a hit PR wise, just do your freaking job. And mm-hmm. if what your if your theory isn't working or you're presented with more evidence, just I don't know like I, uh, sorry yeah keep going keep going keep going because I'm just gonna get I'm just keep I keep getting madder as I keep talking oh yeah and so I'm just gonna take too. up like an hour of this okay go ahead wait were you were you talking about confirmation bias is that what it is where it's like you have something in your head and then you just look for information that confirms your thinking instead of yes new information okay yes that is my psych 101 term that I was looking for thank you um okay where was I all right so that's the that's basically the situation here that the police believe that it was an accident and so and because it's not an accident they're not pursuing like evidence in order to like right. um get a, what search warrants or maybe even an arrest warrant they're not treating this with any type of urgency um and so the petition, which is where I got most of my information from, because um, the family basically put out a petition and the uh, intent is to hold the Buckeye PD accountable and make them change Daniel's investigation from a missing persons case to a criminal investigation. And so, like I was saying earlier, this way, the department will be able to use evidence to get the search and um, I'm assuming the arrest warrants. Um And some other background on Arizona, according to the petition, um, Arizona ranks number four in the country with the most missing people each year. And so far in 2021, there are 915 people missing in Arizona. And because of this growing problem of missing people, missing persons, many families they, they don't get an urgent response from law enforcement. So a lot of them don't even get the closure that they need when their loved ones go missing and they don't have, they don't have like a body to mourn or potentially find their loved ones alive. So they're just left with like this really painful, like open endedness and uncertainty. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Isn't Arizona mostly desert as well? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, they also say um, that the Buckeye Police Department lacks training to effectively conduct searches for missing persons, which it sounds like, based on Daniel's case, is probably what's happening. Ugh. And they're hoping to use the petition 
not solely, but they're hoping that the petition will be a catalyst for having funds reallocated to programs that focus solely on missing persons, missing and exploited children, and identifying remains found in the desert. So that goes back to what you were saying, because, and I'm going to quote directly from the petition, um, but Arizona is among unique places with natural conditions that wreak havoc on the remains of a human body. If a missing person finds themselves in a desert situation, their rescue must be swift. Police officers are not equipped, nor are they appropriately trained in rescuing and recovering a missing person. So Hmm. that. Okay, so that reminds me, this is going to be a random aside, but yesterday I was randomly like looking into remember the guy like in 127 hours who cut his own arm off yes so i was thinking about that because i don't know if he was in the same conditions as i don't even know if he was in arizona but like he got so lucky being able to like amputate his own arm because most people would have died in that situation um and so because and this is somebody who has like I guess wilderness or desert training. So imagine if there's somebody who's just, I don't know, who doesn't have that same level of training, gets themselves caught up in the desert and there's a very short window of time where they can be found either alive or even if they unfortunately pass away, there's a very short window of time where you can actually recover their remains. Um, So, okay, I'm not sure what 127 has to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think... I mean, I think, well, I, I kind of get what you're trying to go with that. I think it's interesting because, I, if I remember correctly, I think he amputated himself with, like, a pocket knife. Yeah. And granted, yes, is he lucky to be alive? Yes, sure. But I also feel like it says a lot about mm. that person's... Okay, no, I don't want to offend anybody, but I was going to say, like, a person's will to live, but I also don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for. Because I don't know. Like, I've never been in a situation where it's been, like, true life or death. So I don't know what that what it's like to have that adrenaline of, like, I need to do whatever it takes to survive because if I don't do something, I'm going to die. So I don't know yeah. what it's like to be in that position. But I feel like I know myself pretty well. And I feel like at that point where I'm amputating my arm with a pocket knife, I feel yeah. like maybe halfway through the amputation, I'm like, I don't, this is too hard. Let me just go with yeah. the Lord. Like, Let I me just, just go ahead. Yeah. I'd be like, I Jesus, was... take me now because I don't want to cut off my arm, <laughs> is what I would say. But again, yeah. I don't know what it's like to be in that position. Maybe the adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, you know what? Let's just do this thing. I don't know, but right. Because I mean, yeah, because I was telling, I was reading the thing, the Wikipedia page to Ronnie, and I was telling him, I was like, the same thing. I don't know if because this man had to cut through the bone and he knew Blech. enough. Yeah, he knew enough about like cutting off your own arm that he knew enough to leave the major arteries for last because if you cut a major artery, you're just going to bleed out and that's that's a wrap for you. So he's doing all of this while being dehydrated because at this point he's already drinking his own pee. Um, Wait, I should probably fact check myself. But he was dehydrated. <laughs> he was dehydrated. I don't know where I'm going with this. This is such a random. Basically, random. what I'm trying to say is that shit gets real in the desert. And so yes, he had a yes. very small, he had a very small yes. window of time, like three to five days. 
any any and he mentioned himself that if he it had been even like a day or a couple hours longer he would have he would not have survived so i, yeah. I think what i'm really trying to say getting back for a circle the dangers of the desert the de- the desert is the desert is real yes. And not only that, but like national parks, people, I think people get like murdered and go missing in national parks a lot. Um, well, you don't have to be out there long to die in the, in the forest. Yeah. Like, I think it's right. like, I think cause I, if I'm not mistaken, it's like what, two days, three days without water and you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So scary. it's so scary. Um, this is why I don't so, yeah, go outside. This is why I don't go outside. Whenever someone's like, "Let's go hiking," I'm like, "No," because all no, I can thanks. think about is like one, and it's literally all it takes is like one wrong step in the wrong direction, and then all of a sudden you don't, you lose the trail, and mm-hmm. you're stuck, and nobody knows that you're missing because nobody, like, if I went missing in the woods, nobody would think like Amy's probably hiking right now. Nobody would right. think that. People would be like, she's probably in her room somewhere, or like passed out somewhere in her room but no one would think to look in the woods and then by the time they find me i'm dead yeah especially because like people people know me are are not thinking that i'm like going on a hike so they're not going to be looking for me in a national park because they know damn well i wouldn't be i wouldn't be there um so clear like clearly like the efforts and the training and i think you you need specific training you do to even go down into the desert and yeah. find people because that shit like i remember watching a youtube video of this woman who like she like was hiking somewhere in the desert off like a cliffy area and she fell and broke her leg and but she thank goodness she was able to call 911 and they basically like it it took forever to like extract her from wherever she had fallen into some like ravine and then that was it. But also, like, she got put into, like, a stretcher, and she had to be helicopter lifted out. And I guess because of... Oh, my God, thing, I know what you're talking you know? about. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, for anyone who hasn't is seen the, the video, like... Is this the woman who's, like, like... Spinning, like, like, crazy. Spinning yeah. And so, so, so basically, oh, they're trying to lift her out, and I don't something mm-hmm. with physics. Somebody who knows physics more than me will know what happened. But basically, she was spinning like at like warp speed on the yeah. the fucking stretcher, like to fly out. And I, if that were me, I would have just thrown up like everywhere. Oh, she probably um, did. <laughs> she probably did. Yeah. The minute they got her on the helicopter, she's probably already Throwing covered up. in vomit. Yeah, <laughs> but um. Anyways, yeah, we so, need to watch the story. We're so sorry. Okay, keep going. <laughs> no, that was my fault. I just went off. Um, but okay, so that that was basically that's basically the um Daniel Robinson story. Um, and just some good things like about his personality was that he was described as a really like outspoken geologist, very passionate um hmm. about his job. He loved the outdoors. Had a lot of friends. Um, so if anyone listening, if you have any details on Daniel's whereabouts. Please, please contact um, a tip line that has been set up for his family. I'm going to read out the number. It is 803-200-7994. That's 803-200-7994. This is a tip line that's been set up for by his family for any information you might have about Daniel's disappearance. Um, and also, please change or please sign the change.org petition 
um we can link to it i guess in our little like info thing mm-hmm. um or you can just google daniel robinson and like they have a website set up for him um and it's basically a petition to have his missing persons case changed to a criminal investigation so that more resources and more effort can be put um into investigating the case because something something strange might be going on here um all right so i have two more um missing persons cases i wanted to uplift um i found both of these on ourblackgirls.com and the creator of this website is doing amazing work um they basically gather stories of missing black women whether um it's women who've gone missing like two days ago or 20 years ago um cold cases and they provide updates um when available um, and she's getting the information from, I think it's one person. I think her name is Erica Marie. She's running the website uh, mainly by herself. And she's getting the information from her, from their families. Um, wow. Yeah. Good work. And she's do- yeah. And I highly suggest checking out the website and their social media for updates. Mm. Um, so the information I have here, it's very brief because there isn't a lot of information, but mm-hmm. I really just want to up- uplift just to, to, um, two women who are missing um, and their families are looking for them and they're looking for information. Um, so the first woman is, her name is Akila Thomas. Um, she's, she would be 38 and she was reported missing on July 15th, 2020. So last year um, mm. she was last seen in Sacramento, California, and she was known <clears throat> to have frequented cities around the Bay area. Um, there aren't, Unfortunately, there aren't any details on when she was last seen and she was unemployed. Um, but based on the information we have, Akila may have been unhoused and was likely to have been staying with various friends. Um, she usually did stay in touch with her sister, but uh, no one has heard from her in years. Um, but her sister reported her missing to the Sacramento Police Department. Uh, they informed her that they had a run-in with Akila, but they strangely didn't provide her with any other details, nor was anyone in her family notified when they had the run-in with her. The police? Um, yeah. And I thought her- that, like, I thought that, sorry to interrupt, but I thought mm-hmm. that when they're adults and they've went willingly, like, separated themselves with their family, I think I read somewhere where, maybe it depends on the state, but that the police aren't obligated to notify the family. Mm, okay, that makes sense. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I think oh, I've okay. read that somewhere, depending on the state, because if because I think the police, if they do a run in, they kind of like do like maybe like a welfare check. But right. Um, because sometimes people who are found don't want the families notified that they're found. So mm. the so I don't know if it was like something like that, but I think they're not obligated because it's right. an adult that is if, you know, consenting adult that has decided to do it by their own free will. So I don't know if that was, like, an incident mm-hmm. of that. Or if that was just straight up, like, you know, mishandling on their part. I don't know. But just yeah. a thought. Yeah. Um, and, and also, it's possible, on top of that, um, it's they're thinking that it's possible because she's unhoused and she also doesn't mm-hmm. have a cell phone. They're thinking um, that that's probably, yeah, that's probably why law enforcement isn't prioritizing her case. Kind of like that confirmation bias thing we were talking about. Yeah. Um, however, she is someone's sister and loved one, and her case yeah. deserves to be investigated. Um, and at the time of her disappearance, she stood at five foot three inches tall and weighed 130 pounds. She had wow. black slash 
yeah, dark brown hair and brown eyes. Um, if anyone listening has any information about Aquila, please contact the Sacramento Police Department. Um, okay, the last case I want to uplift is the case of Brittany Palmer. Uh, Brittany is 23 years old and was last seen on August 22nd, 2020 in Jacksonville, Florida. She was in the area of Baldwin and Barber Streets to visit a friend and her mother. And she actually reached out to her own mother and indicated she was having issues with some friends who stole some money from her. Her mom told her to call her. Yeah. Her mom told her to call her back and that she would help her resolve it. And then she never heard from her again. Um, Oh, let the money go. Let the money go. Right. Right. Her mom, uh, Von Tria, she did get a call later that um, later that night at 3 a.m. from Britney's phone, but some strange woman answered and told her that she bought the phone from someone else. Um, Suspicious. So her, yep. And her mom says that Britney had gotten involved with the wrong crowd Ugh. and they may have targeted her over her money. And although oh, we don't no. know if law enforcement um thinks this is the case um i i think i read that law enforcement wasn't specifically connecting her friends with her disappearance but her family believes that these friends were involved potentially in her disappearance um and Brittany has a brain injury from an accident she was in and she walks with a walker or a cane um oh. yeah at the time of her disappearance she stood five foot one inch tall and weighed 120 pounds. She has black, dark brown hair with blonde um, or gold tips. Um, both of her ears are pierced, and she has pink flowers and a butterfly tattooed on her upper arm. It doesn't say which arm. And she has the word loyal tattooed on her chest and paw prints on her thighs. And she has other tattoos, but they didn't um, they didn't really indicate what other tattoos they were. Um so if you have any information about Brittany, please, please, please contact the Jacksonville Police Department. Um, so yeah, those are my those are my three stories of that is so folks. sad. And like, yeah. what's really sad is that like sometimes like, and it's not what's what was her name, Brittany? Mm-hmm. It like it's not like I definitely don't want a victim blame, and I and I and definitely nobody deserves. Um, that to happen to them but i also well no i don't want to say, but i think um uh, like i like she's 23 she's just a baby yeah you know she's just so, a baby so and i think sometimes people really bad mean people see someone maybe with a brain injury and mm-hmm. with money and take advantage of these people especially like people really take some people really take kindness as signs like of weakness and yeah. so they take it like oh that just hurts my heart oh, yeah and her her sister was saying that Brittany is very trusting um Ugh. and despite the fact that her friends stole money from her she was willing like to give them a second chance and she said that you know her sister is very trusting and uh, you know unfortunately does give people second yeah. chances a lot and so um it's just really it really is unfortunate that people do like take advantage of people's kindness because it's like you don't want to tell someone don't you know don't be trusting but um 
I guess it's like not everyone deserves uh, that level of trust. So, yeah. And I also feel like, yeah. I also feel like, I don't know. I don't know what your opinion is on this, Kristen, but I mean, I've never stolen from you. I don't think you've ever stolen from me. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think that, I think that at that age, like, I think when you're maybe like in high school or I think maybe when you're like, even in middle, like, I think high school is kind of pushing, but I think when you're in elementary school, middle school, I think it is normal to kind of steal from your friends. Like, it's definitely a behavior you want to discourage when you discover your children's doing. But I think that it is something mm-hmm. more normal because I think at that point, you don't really have maybe your family's poorer or like you don't like for me, like I remember like growing up and like being envious of the things that some of my friends had because my parents would outright refuse to buy them. So mm-hmm. I think that definitely like when you're younger, stealing is something that's a little bit more normal. But I think once you hit high school on and definitely in your 20s, stealing in general is for me like a red flag but especially amongst friends because I feel like if you are capable of stealing money from a friend that to me is just that for me is like a huge red flag in the friendship because I'm like yeah and that for me I don't think I don't think I would I would give him a second chance but I'm also like a very cynical distrustful person in general so (laughs) yeah like I you know but I think that it's like a huge red flag in when it's a behavior amongst adults because I because people and let's be real here like people will kill for money like money is really like money in my opinion is truly the root of all evil because for me like I definitely I definitely don't think a person's life is worth like 300 400 dollars but there's definitely people in this world that think and have taken li- like have taken lives for less than like twenty dollars, so I don't oh, know. Yeah. Like, and again, like not not to victim blame her, you know, because like she was just a baby and she didn't deserve anything that happened to her. But you know, oh, you know, I'm yeah. sure for her mother it must be really difficult dealing with all that. Yeah, mm. after a year and not really getting. It sounds like yeah. it's the same same situation. Not really getting much from law enforcement. Um, it's just, it's just very, very upsetting. (sighs) Now I'm sad and we're just going to get sadder. (laughs) Oh no. Um, you know what we should do? You know how in My Favorite Murder, after they do a really sad case, they say something that makes them happy at the end? Yeah. We should do that because now I'm like really sad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I started wanting to do this as like a missing persons case mm-hmm. but um i think by the time i started doing this research she was no longer missing and she became unfortunately a victim of homicide mm. um but i decided to do the story anyway because i felt like it really impacted me um and i mean all of these stories really i find really impactful because i think as i get older i think i don't know i, could be, I think i become more aware of the dangers of the world and also yes. how lucky we are to be alive. Yep. Um, so, and I think also now with some of, with like how young some of these girls are or some of these victims are, I'm like, yo, that was not, that was me not too long ago. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I decided to do the story of Mia Marcano. I don't know if you've heard of her, Kristen. Um, so I actually learned about this story from watching why well, did actually I don't watch the news with my parents, but I come home from work and they're already watching the news. Um, hmm. and I don't get why parents decide to watch the news. Like <laughs> I find watching the news 
every day depressing. like absolutely depressing i don't know yeah i don't know at what point in my adulthood where i'm gonna start thinking it's like something completely normal to do after work but whatever yeah they're watching um their favorite news channel which is univision you know what that is right Kristen? Mm. Mm-hmm. okay for those that don't know it's a spanish like language it's like cnn for hispanic people uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's on uh, every day at six o'clock or maybe 6 30 mm-hmm. actually i think it's 6 30 but um i saw it on the news um and it really impacted me because i don't know the whole thing just made me furious um yeah so well, I'm going to start first with who Mia Marcano was. So I didn't find mm-hmm. any information about her nationality. But from what I believe, she did have family in the British Isles. I think she was. She may be like Trinid- Trinidadian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also heard one of her family members being interviewed who spoke Spanish. So I think, I don't know. And she's from Florida. So maybe Cuban. I'm not sure um but either way um she was mur- uh, she was uh unfortunately murdered around the or she went missing and was murdered around this maybe a little bit after the gabby petito case um oh. and she did get some media attention but it obviously wasn't as much as gabby petito's case um mm-hmm. but she was a 19 year old resident of florida she was born on april 26 2002 um mm-hmm. and um yeah i know so she was a I know she was a baby. Um, and the story, oh, like the, the story's just gonna make me more sad, but um she was described by people around her as being intelligent, she was kind, um, and she was uh said to have had a good head on her shoulders. Um mm. she was described by family members um as a very funny person, um, and she was uh said to have had a very close relationship with her family. Like she talked to her dad every day like they were always in touch um and then her there's uh her english teacher actually told miami news times um her english teacher krista i think it's krista modia or christia modia that might just be a typo but Mm -hmm. um that mia was in her class and she during her senior year they had a conversation that uh, modia says she'll never forget but basically mia told her that she wasn't focused on boys and that all she wanted to do was to make her family proud and that she oh. was focused on that was making her family proud. And she always talked about her future. Um, and so she definitely was very diligent, very hard worker. Um, and her teacher described her as the kind of student that would offer help to those that were struggling. So she was always mm-hmm. willing to help her classmates. Um, and she grew up in South Florida. I don't know anything about South Florida, but Me neither. she grew up in South Florida. Um, <laughs> And she graduated. She graduated high school in twenty twenty. Ah, yes, it's like last graduated year. Sc- yes, graduated high school in twenty twenty, um, and then she moved to Orlando to attend Valencia College. And she lived and worked in an apartment complex card called Arden Villas, um, by herself, um, to attend college, um, and she worked in the leasing office, um, mm. of this apartment complex. So she lived there and she worked there, um. So information about the case. So she was a sophomore at Valencia College um, and she was just starting. I think she maybe had like a month into her sophomore year. Um, And she on September 24th, she was uh, last reported. Yeah. So she was last reported missing on September 24th of this year. 
Um, and she was last seen at 5 p.m., which was when she had clocked out of the leasing office that she worked at. Mm-hmm. Um, so she clocked out, and that was the last anybody saw of her. Um, and that same night, she was expected to take a flight out to Fort Lauderdale to see her family. Um, mm-hmm. But she never made it on the plane. So I guess I'm assuming that her family was waiting for her at the airport. They mm-hmm. saw that she didn't get off the plane. Maybe they asked around. I'm not sure if they asked around. But I'm assuming they asked around seeing... Because, you know, because I think um, the people working at the front desk can usually tell you if someone made it on the plane or not. Right. And so I'm, I'm sure that that's what they did. And so then after um, they realized that she had missed her flight um, and they also noticed that they were unable to get in contact with her, which, like I said before, she was very close to their family. So that was very weird to their family. Yeah. They, they realized immediately that that was un... That was un... What am I, what am I trying to unlike say? Unlike her. Yes, that was unlike her. Thank you. <laughs> Um, that was unlike her. So basically, the the family drove up to um, Orlando that night. Mm. Um, so by nine twenty three p.m., I don't know if this was by the time they're already on the road because I don't feel I feel like Orlando a flight to Orlando to Fort Lauderdale can't take like more than an hour. I don't think. Um, yeah. So, so I guess I don't know if it's by the time they were driving, but by nine twenty three p.m. that same day, her family had called the police um, mm-hmm. to say that they couldn't reach her. So, um, around 3 a.m. is when they finally reached her apartment complex. Um, Mm -hmm. and so there was a person who let them in. Um, and then while the person, I think it was an employee, it had to have been an employee of the apartment complex, but they had let them in. Um, and this person who had let them in ended up like taking, they found some fingerprints like near the window, just kind of like places around the house. And the person mm-hmm. who let them in ended up like taking these fingerprints and while the family searched the home. Was this law enforcement or? Well, no, apartment? this was not law enforcement. I'm, I, I want to say it was like security, but it was definitely mm. someone who was, you know, um, who had permission to like let them in the home. And, and so, um, mm. yeah, they took the fingerprints um, and so okay. the family, pretty much the minute they were let into the house, they realized that something was wrong. Um, so the house was found in, like, the apartment was found in disarray, mm. um, which was obviously Im- immediately suspicious to the family because Mia was known to be very meticulous in her cleaning. So she was known to be very neat, um, so much so that she would take her shoes off the ha- shoes off before entering her carpeted apartment. Um, mm. But they found dirt and blood. Um, and they also found um, a box cutter that wasn't hers under a rug. And then she she would wear she would always wear these two gold necklaces. And one of the gold necklaces that she would always wear was found on the floor broken. Oh, no. um, and so obviously this, you know, raised alarm bells to the family. And so the family instantly knew that Mia had either been kidnapped or taken against her will, which I kind of think is the same thing. But um hey. But either way, basically, someone had been in there and had something bad had happened. So um, while this is happening, um, a man called uh, Armando Caballero, who is a 27-year-old maintenance worker at the apartment complex, shows up. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) He shows up. And I think I got this from the Univision article, I think. Um, but he shows up and kind of is like, oh, are you guys looking for Mia? And then the family goes, the family's like, who are you? Yeah, what the- and then you're right. <laughs> and 
Um, and then he goes, um, oh, well, you know, he introduced himself or he told them who he was. And he's like, oh, I was just I came up here because um, somebody told me that they were looking for me. However, okay. however, so he was a 27 year old maintenance worker, but he showed up to the apartment complex despite not being scheduled to work. So basically nobody had called him there. He just showed us up. Um, So then once the relatives realize who he is, the relatives start to confront him and start accusing him of sending obsessive texts. Um, So the, so basically, okay, I'm going to get to that. So basically, um, as he's talking to the so the sheriff decides to question him or the sheriff's deputy sorry decides to question him and as mm-hmm. they're questioning him the relatives start to confront him um and start accusing him of sending these obsessive text messages and there's actually footage of this interaction i don't know if it's mm-hmm. through like a police camp yes um and i think you and i believe you can see the video um on the internet i actually saw it when i was watching this i think on univision um but i think it's like three minutes long and there is footage of this interaction. And these are some of the things that were said. So there is a woman in the, in the video, which I can't, I don't know who it is. It might've been his mother, her mother. I don't, of Mia's mother. I'm not sure. But she says, as of right now, you have sent obsessive texts to Mia. We have all seen the texts. You talked about sending her your life savings. You cash after money. And you claim that you weren't in touch. Uh, and then Caballero responds, I never said that. Then this woman says, there's evidence of obsession. You're fascinated with Mia. Then Caballero responds like a little bit later. If I was guilty, why would I be here? Which I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. True crime has been a thing now for like hundreds of years. We all know that people who commit crimes oftentimes come back to the scene of the crime. Mm -hmm. Like, like that is you come, you basically being like, oh, I if I was guilty, why would I show up? Like, that is the oldest trick in the book. Give yeah, motherfucker. Like, come on now. Like, obviously, Seriously. like, you probably show up there either to, like, revel in the situation or you're probably showing up thinking that the fact that you showed up will yes. not be suspicious. In reality, it's suspicious as hell that you're here. Yes. Like, showed up yes. not when you're scheduled to work talking about, are you looking for her? Like, yes. come on. Mm. My opinion, so, my opinion is, I think because I honestly think that her family responded swiftly. Like, I think the fact that yeah. she didn't, like, she didn't get it. And I don't know if this, I don't know if, if Caballero, if Caballero knew, like, that she had a, to leave for a flight that day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think, I basically think that when he showed up to the apartment complex, he came to clean up. Mm. Because, like I said, the apartment was left in disarray. Mm. And so I think that he came back to clean up and didn't expect to find his family find her family there because mm-hmm. this was in less than 24 hours her family showed up in less than 24 hours so wow. basically yeah so basically like i think they caught him by surprise and he basically was like oh are you also because he was like are you looking for mia and it's like how do you know that Mia's missing exactly and then he <laughs> goes well someone well someone told me you were looking for me and it's oh. like nobody told you that exactly okay so yeah um also in the video um i also remember hearing this when they started accusing him of sending those obsessive text messages caballero actually claims that the feelings were reciprocated that there was a back and forth between them two um 
yeah so he basically was like well he basically was like it wasn't one-sided it definitely like she definitely was like into me too blah 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 um and so during this initial investigation um caballero told the police that the last time he had seen mia was 3 p.m that day uh while he was working um and unfortunately the police was unable to detain him at the time um and their belief was that they basically had no probable cause at the time that's what the sheriff said they had no probable cause and it was i don't know the way that he explained it i felt was very condescending because i think in one of the articles that i read he was like in america you know you need probable cause and you need evidence to arrest somebody and i was like oh oh my gosh like okay like the way just the way he said it was like in america like like everyone protesting was unaware that in america you need probable cause but the thing is um but the thing is the family and the reason why the family is angry is that they claim that there was probable cause because they said that they saw mia's blanket inside caballero's car that that night they saw her they found her blanket in his car and also he had a key fob um, I don't know if it was determined whether it was Mia's, but they said that he found a key fob and her blanket in the car, in his car. What the but fuck was her blanket doing I in the car? I guess, exactly, but I guess the police said that that wasn't probable cause. Um, however, so they let him go that night. Yeah. They let him go that night. Um, so after more investigating, the police determines that Caballero, as a maintenance man of that apartment complex, had it a master key. To all of the buildings in the apartment complex, including Mia's. Here we go. Um, then the police discovered that Caballero's key fob... I don't know if they had a way of telling like which key fob did what. But mm-hmm. basically, the police discovered that Caballero's key fob had been used to access Marcon- uh, Mia's apartment at 4.30 p.m. 30 minutes before she was to get off her shift. Fucking hell! So he... Okay, let me. I'm gonna let you finish. Yeah. So 30 minutes before she was to get off her shift. Because, again, she was clocked out at 5 p.m. Also, cell phone records showed that Caballero was either in in or near the apartment complex for 20 um, minutes between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. The evening Mia was reported missing. (sighs) So after making this discovery, the police then issued a warrant for an arrest on burglary charges for Caballero. So that was how they were going to bring him in. Mm-hmm. And at this time, that made Caballero the sole person of interest in this case. Mm. So this is where it gets um, interesting. Mm-hmm. However, the police were unable to hand him this warrant because on September 27th, about two days after uh, Mia was reported missing... Caballero was found dead of an apparent suicide. Okay, so he fucking did it. Well, okay, let me stop. Actually, okay, I think I have heard snippets of this case, because this sounds familiar that somebody killed themselves after they... So he... he. I mean, come on. <laughs> like... Yes. Why do you yes. kill yourself suspiciously after, like, you, you find out that the girl you were obsessed with, like, her parent, her family has caught on to the fact... That she's missing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, according to the police, basically, he was the only sole, sole interest. I mean, only sole person of interest in this case. And so basically, after he killed himself, they pretty much were like, yeah, we know he did it. Um, so according to Univision.com, mm. Univision's website, 
Um, he strangled himself in a storage room in his apartment oh. complex. So this was roughly translated. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> this was roughly translated. So I'm pretty sure this is what they what they were trying to say was that he had strangled in a store. He strangled himself in a storage room in his own apartment complex. Um, however, at this point, Mia was still missing. Oh. Um, so then this is where the search for Mia starts. Well, it, it had started before, but it gets um, it got I, I'm assuming it got more urgent um after he killed himself um so the family had spent days looking for her and even slept in a car in front of the apartment complex waiting for news or waiting for more information or maybe i'm assuming hoping that mia would come walking back um they also petitioned for the help of the fbi through press conferences and appealing to the public so the help from the fbi was granted so the fbi was helping search for mia Unfortunately, on October 2nd, a week after Mia was reported missing, a body was found in a wooded, marshy area near um, an apartment complex called Timber Scan on the lake. And they found her body probably around 10.45 a.m. And it was approximately 18 miles west of her apartment complex. Um, And Mia was found, once it was determined that it was, well, she was found um, wearing jeans, bra, and a robe um despite the fact that she was found sorry also um and then a purse with her id was found near the body i don't know how far away it was but they said it was found near her body um but despite being found um in her bra the coroner's report found that there were no signs of sexual assault however um they did find signs of her feet and her hands being bound by duct tape as well oh as God. as well as her mouth being covered by duct tape. Um, I think that I don't know, if she was found in a bra and a robe, it makes me really sad because I have a feeling that she might have been like getting ready to take a shower or getting ready to, yeah. to I don't know, maybe take a nap um when she was attacked. So that makes me really sad. Um yeah. and and um the timber scan on the lake apartment complex where her body was found is actually where Caballero used to live. Um, Yeah. And apparently, according to uh, some of the articles I read, that this particular apartment complex was really known for being a place for, like, low-income families, um, and there was a lot of, like, drug violence, reports of that nature in this apartment complex. So these were the warning signs of Caballero's behavior, which, in my opinion, they're always there's always warning signs. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently, Caballero had made sexual advances towards Mia several times, which she had rejected all of them. Um, and according to, I don't know if it was her sister or her cousin, but Mia would have definitely been the type of person to straight up reject someone if she wasn't interested. Um, mm-hmm. So she wasn't the type of person to shy away from conflict. Like she definitely would have put him in his place. Um, and according to the family and her family in the family lawyer, um, Mia had shown her coworkers the texts that Kabir had sent her and mm. the words that they used was out of control. Um, and I think you and I both know like what those messages look like. The ones that are just like, right. Hey, 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 Hey. And yeah. you like block them, you ignore them. And it's incessant, incessant, incessant texting. Um, and mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she had told the family about them as well. I'm sure she had shown them to her family. 
Um, so it, it seems like everyone around her knew that this guy was pretty much like stalking her, harassing her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these actually were not the only incidents incidences of creepiness towards women. Um, so according to an article by Vice, um, which I'll talk about a little bit later because I really love the article. Um, it was written by Emma Ackerman. Shout out to Emma Ackerman, whoever you Shout are. Mm-hmm. Um, so a woman living in a different apartment complex where Caballero had previously worked, um, she claimed to have once discovered him inside her apartment um, when she came out of the shower. What the um, fuck? Because apparently he was a main, like he's a maintenance worker. So what the apparently fuck? they can just show up unannounced in your apartment complex. Um, and then at Arden Villas, which is the apartment complex where Mia lived and worked, um, a lot of tenants reported or several tenants reported that he had made people uncomfortable because he would take pictures of people in the swimming pool. Oh, um, and I don't know if there's any like actual evidence of this, but this is what the article said that, that some of the tenants had claimed. Um, and then, however, the article said that it was unclear whether he had been outright accused of specific sexual assault. So it might have been one of those things where they thought it was a little off, but they didn't think that it was enough to report him. And so they kind of like kept it to themselves until this happened. And then they were like, oh, yeah, that reminds me. He did this creepy thing once. Um, and then according to that article from Univision that I pretty much based this whole <laughs> this whole thing on, um, he had this was like straight up from Univision. So I again, I had to like roughly translate it. Um, but Caballero had also written a note to a woman um, asking her out and she had agreed a few days later. Mm. Um, however on the day that she agreed to go out with him Caballero asked her if they could go out that same day um, to which ladies responded no so she I don't know if it was like maybe she was busy that night or I don't know what excuse she gave him but she was like oh I can't tonight and then later that night while she was just like in a room chilling um, I, it, the article said she was on her phone so I'm assuming she just like in a room chilling um, a dumbbell came flying through her window what the what yes. the what the fuck and then she yelled at the person fleeing and she called the police um but the police was unable to connect him to the crime however the woman says that she's pretty sure that it was him because who else would do that yeah who else conveniently like just, on the day yeah. she like tells him he's tells him she's not going out with him that day would just randomly like send a dumbbell sailing through her window yeah um and the apartment complex arden villas um, had claimed that an extensive background check had been made on Caballero before being hired, but they said that they found nothing. Um, and the only the only thing that could po- like the only crime that he was ever like charged of, I think, um, was when he like this was like in 2013. Um, so he probably was like, I don't know, maybe like I'm trying to think of maybe he was like 18, 19. Um, but he may basically made like a bathroom bomb, like mixing some chemicals. And it went mm. off on campus, like, as a prank. Um, and he just, like, claimed it was a prank, super prank. Um, but then he got, like, aggravated assault with a weapon, I think, in 2013. I don't know. He took, like, a plea bargain. Mm. So, naturally, there was a lot of backlash at Arden Villas, the apartment complex. Um, mm-hmm. And they faced backlash from the pub- from the general public, as well as the tenants of the building, um, so there is actually, I don't know if they're still up there, but I think if you were to go to the apartment complex, you'd find several signs around the complex saying that the basically Arden Villas has blood on their hands. 
Um, yeah. And the tenants, specifically the female tenants, have, you know, are now feeling unsafe and have um, actually, especially in the Spice article, they started where they have reported or have spoken about other cases of inappropriate behavior from the employees there, um, specifically the maintenance workers. Um, <sighs> Fucking maintenance workers. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of like what the Vice article touched upon, um, which honestly, like we could sit here and talk about this for another hour. But right. pretty much the um, what the article was talking about was how this case really shed light on just that toxic rental culture and how yeah. the fact that it's actually not uncommon for maintenance workers to have uh, universal keys. Um, yeah, pretty much depending on who your landlord is or who your renter is there are some renters that pretty much feel like they can just show up to your apartment unannounced and they're and then this Mm -hmm. vice article there were stories of women who basically were like yeah i was showering or i was doing this like just moments where you're supposed to be in your home private chilling and these people just come unannounced and so i definitely um encourage anybody who lives in an apartment and there's actually like really really frustrating um but like if you are a woman who lives in an apartment um that you rent or a house that you rent please 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 make sure you check your state's laws or your city laws to determine whether like what are the laws of landlords entering you know the premise because i think in florida the law is like you need to give a tenant 12 hour notice mm-hmm. before entering their apartment. Um, and so definitely check, check those laws to see. And also like, maybe like check your contract or maybe like read your contract. Check, yeah. Check the see. lease. Yeah. Yeah. And check That's your, what it's called, the lease. And, yeah. And like when I moved in, cause my first apartment, um, my first like um, big girl apartment, I was living by myself and my mom got me a door stopper. And then you put it, you like put it up against the door and it basically doesn't allow, like, even if someone were to get the door unlocked, like it causes, like, it basically prevents them from opening the door. Um, And so I put that door stopper on my door whenever I went to sleep. Um, And I would recommend anyone who's living by themselves, any, like, especially if you're a woman, if you're living by yourself, get a door stopper. You can find them. There's multiple kinds of door stoppers, but you can find them at like any sort of like, I don't know what they're called, like home, Home Depot, Lowe's, 100% can find them on Amazon Um, and take them with you when you go, like when you're traveling to a hotel or an Airbnb, because I'm sure if they have maintenance workers in apartment complexes, um, with universal keys. I'm assuming that that could also be oh. the case in certain hotels. Because um, I've been hearing more. I've actually, I saw, I was reading a BuzzFeed article that was talking about um, women's bad experience with maintenance workers with universal keys coming into people's apartments without their consent. Um, and I don't understand why, like, I, I guess I get it, but like, I feel like I've been hearing a lot of instances where certain maintenance workers are abusing that privilege to oh. intimidate and uh, perpetrate crimes against women. That's a, right. that is a fucking problem. Um, um, yeah. And I, and I think, I don't know. I think we've read, sorry, I'm trying, if I'm like far away from the microphone, it's because I'm trying my, but my computer's at like 50 per 50%. Oh, okay. 
and I can just charge it. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but I think that oh, I think like my favorite murder mentioned this, and it also might just be like common sense, but um creeps look for places like if you're a psychopath or if you're a creep, you're looking for a place, um, like you're looking for a job with opportunity to offend. Mm-hmm. You know what yep. I mean? Like you're not going to be looking, you're not going to be looking at jobs where, like if you're a pedophile, you're not going to be looking at jobs where children aren't available or, um, or you're not going to, you know, if you're like just, you know, a rapist, you want a job that gives you the opportunity to offend as often as possible in a discreet um, manner. Like pretty much these creeps, these perverts like to sort of hide in plain sight. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, as a maintenance worker, you know, and I also think that, oh, like, and also, like, I think that, like, I think as women, some of us, we sometimes think, like, well, you know, it is his job. Like, maybe I'm overreacting. Like, maybe this is just kind of how it is. And we don't really voice, we don't really, like, stand up for ourselves when we kind of have to because we feel mm-hmm. that pressure to be polite and be nice. And also, mm-hmm. like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to piss off this maintenance worker because I see him every day. And if he's not really a creep and he's trying to do his job, like, I made life harder for myself. When I think sometimes these offenders, like, they rely on that. Like, they rely on our fear of being rude. Um, oh yeah. You know. And yeah. Um, but what makes me, what makes me, like, what makes me angry about the whole thing with me with this story and which is why it impacted me so much was that this man was 27 years old mia was 19 that man had no Ugh. business no business hitting on that girl first no business even, no business texting even, her. yeah even if he was not a total if he was not a killer it would still be creepy like this girl you know she was focused on her education she was focused on making her family proud. She had no time for scrubs. And granted, Hell yeah. even if he was a maintenance worker, that doesn't make you a bad person. It's not like that makes you, you know, disgusting to all women. But mm-hmm. you were a 27-year-old man. You're almost 30. This girl just got out of high school. Like, that that alone is a red flag for me. But, yeah. but also, what makes me furious about the entire thing, and this is actually what really like impacted me about this case was the fact that this is a man who basically couldn't take no for an answer exactly viewed women as viewed women as being entitled to yep. saying yes to him because even with that woman saying that she she agreed to go on a date with him but because mm-hmm. she wouldn't go out with him that day he throws a dumbbell through her window that is, is a man crazy that is a man that has issues with the word no. And yeah. if you, oh my God, Kristen, if you saw a picture of this guy, he looks like a creep. He does not look mm-hmm. like the kind of guy that you would want your daughter to date. Like he right. looks like a creep. And if I saw him, I, if I saw him, I would be afraid of him because he does, he does yeah. not look like a good person. And I'm yeah. sure that this girl picked up on that. I'm sure that this girl was like, this what is this 27 year old creep? trying to do, like doing trying to hit on me like I'm sure she picked up on that and what yeah. also I find infuriating is that not only did he make sexual advances towards this girl that the fact that he was so upset at her saying no to him and at her rejecting him that he was like I'm just like I'm gonna hide in her apartment and I and don't kill know her. 
Right. And the thing is, he took those answers, that motive, all of that with him when he died, in which is so infuriating, so infuriating, yeah. because we don't really know what happened. We don't know if, like, he hid in her apartment to be like, hey, like, give me a chance. And then she was like, get the F out of my apartment. And then they, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, we don't know. Or if he went there with the intent of straight up killing her. Like, we don't know. Right. Yeah. And that's we the don't thing. We don't know. Yeah. That's the, this is like that piss, like, pisses me off. And ladies and whoever else, whatever you identify as, like, I just want to make this very clear. Like, if you do not, like, if you are not interested in somebody or if somebody is creeping you out, like, please don't worry about being rude. Um, yes. If something fuck feels politeness. off. In exactly. the words of my fuck favorite murder, fuck politeness. Fuck politeness. Fuck it. Because at the end of the day, like, it's your life on the line. Do Please do yes. not worry. If something feels off, don't worry about being rude. Be the bitch. Be the asshole. That's okay. And plus, like, I was thinking about this the other day. We don't tell children to be friendly to strangers. We don't tell mm -hmm. little mm -hmm. kids to, like, we don't tell little kids to let people, like, do things to them that they are not okay with. So why are we supposedly okay with placing an expectation upon grown women? Why are you okay yes. with telling a small child, don't talk to strangers, but grown women are expected to entertain strangers? I yes. say, fuck that. Don't worry about being rude. I mean, obviously, like, depending on the context, um, because I've been in this situation before, like, where these creeps will will prey on you when you're by yourself. And so you don't feel mm. comfortable being like, fuck you, weirdo, because then they might, you know. But whatever you have to do, if it just means ignoring them outright, whatever you have to do to get away from them and get yourself into a safer situation, please, please do it. And like, some just, <laughs> I know this is just a symptom of the patriarchy, but like, something is very wrong that a man feels like because he gets rejected the response is to inflict harm upon another yes. human being just because she doesn't want to bang you or just because she doesn't want to go out with you it is absolutely wild that your response is to break in it sounds like break into her apartment wait for her to come back from her shift and hide in there and then pop out at her and kill her like yeah it's and it feels like it's particularly upsetting to me because as a woman, and I'm sure you feel this way too, Amy, like we're both at risk and we both, we could, like you said, we could talk all day about the creepy instances we've had to deal with, with men. And it's just so infuriating that this happens and that like we, we as women, we'd have to be on such guard at all times. We can't even feel safe in our own fucking apartments because yeah. he's like, creeps in these positions of power can just can just let themselves yeah. into your apartment and kill you and it's exhausting being that vigilant and the knowing the fact that you're gonna have to be vigilant literally till the day that you die um exhausting absolutely and, exhausting and also what there's just like so many things about this case that make me angry um and just the thought that this girl mia she was like out on her own wanting to be independent like she seems to be the kind of girl that literally just wanted to be responsible and wanted her freedom and wanted to kind of make it on her own. And the fact mm -hmm. that she, like this man knew that she was, that she lived alone 
you know, that just, that hurts me that he knew that she lived alone. Mm -hmm. And when I think about what her last hours must have been, I just like, I don't cry. I don't know. Like I don't cry because I, I just feel like it happens all the time. All the time. And if I, I just, if I cried about every single girl and this not to, this is not to sound like, like I don't care, but if, Mm -hmm. you know, if we, if we cried for every girl that died at the hands of a man that just didn't respect her, her refusal, we would have no tears left. We'd have no energy. We'd be exhausted. Yeah. We cried Um, all endlessly. Yes. Because, but the, like, she was so young. Like she was, yeah. And, but and when I sometimes like when I go on Reddit, which Reddit can be an either really educational place or it can be a completely toxic place. But yeah. there have been like instances where, you know, there's videos of women that women take when they're on the subway and a man or like at the gym and a man will approach her and she'll say something like she'll say something like, oh, this guy approached me at the gym and it was so disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes I feel like some like I feel like there are men who get it, but then I, the men who don't get it. It scares, it just, I don't know, it kind of like scares me and alarms me the amount mm. of men that just don't get it because they'll say, Agreed. like, sometimes the response is like, well, there will be like, well, fuck you, bitch, because this guy's just trying to be friendly and you don't like, this guy's just trying to talk to you at the gym. You sh- you're just trying to be friendly. And like, this is why you're single because like, you don't want to talk to guys at the gym. Like, where else are you supposed to meet people? But it, it infuriates me because I'm like, it infuriates me because you don't. Like, I don't know, like, maybe men think that cases like Gabby Petito's and cases like, because Gabby Petito died at the hands of her fiance, a man who was supposed to, like, protect her and love her. And Mm then Mia gets killed by a maintenance worker in her apartment who she said no to. And so when men are out here being like, well, I don't like that she gave me a fake number or I don't like that. You know, I'm just trying to talk to her at the gym or I'm just trying to talk to the coffee shop and she's not interested. It's like, you know, the fact that these cases come up and the, and at this point, there's no excuse for that ignorance anymore. There is social media. Nope. These Absolutely cases are not. all over the news. Like, you should know by now that women have very good reasons for treating men the way that they do in that regard. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, but this whole idea, this whole romanticized idea that a man can't just approach me at the bus stop and try to chat me mm-hmm. up and that we're going to have a meet no. cute. Meet cutes don't exist in real life. I'm sorry. They don't life. exist in real this life. This is not a damn okay? And if you met at a meet cute, it's good for you. I'm happy for you. I'm not bitter. But at the same time, like most of the, okay, I don't want to say most of the time, but sometimes it's just, it's creepier more than it is cute. A lot because, of times it's way creepier. Yes. Yeah. Than it is because, cute. I'm yeah. not going to the grocery store to get picked up. I'm going to yes. the grocery store to pick up my milk and eggs. I did not come here to to talk to anybody. Like, and sometimes, um, sorry, 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 I'm going to cut you off, but like, okay. sometimes men have to understand that it is not always appropriate to approach a woman. So just because yes. you see a woman sitting by herself on the train. That does not mean that it is appropriate for you to go up to her. Sometimes you just have to let it go. Like maybe if you were in a bar or if you were in like a party or a situation where it's a little bit more acceptable for like strangers, I guess, to talk to each other. But you have to be okay with the fact that there are situations where you are not entitled to a woman's time or space. And that is what I think 
that's where I think the disconnect is with men is that they feel, yeah. well, a lot, some men, they feel like they are just entitled to women at yes. all times. That's why when they come back talking about, well, why don't you just like, she, he was just saying hello. Like, she, I don't care. She, she, exactly. She doesn't have to say hello care. to him. She doesn't owe him shit. Yeah. She doesn't have to be friendly to him. I don't know you. And again, that, I don't know you. Exactly. And again, you would not tell your small child to say hello to the weirdo in the gym. So why are you telling the woman to? Why is that? Exactly. Oh, child, I'm getting so mad. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, another thing I would just say to any like men or men aligned, I guess, are, who are listening to this, please ask any like women in your life, because please ask any women in your life of their encounters with creeps and their encounters with harassment. I guarantee fucking to you that every woman you know in your life could sit down and have days and months worth of times where they have been creeped out and harassed yes. by men. Every single woman you know. So before you sit there and talk about why don't you just say hello, why don't you go talk to the women in your life who you love and would be sad if something horrible happened to them and know that this is something that we have to deal with on a da almost daily basis. And this is something that we have to be vigilant against consistently. Sorry, Amy. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, okay. I'm very worked up about this. Yes. Well, I'm just going to say two things and then I'm going to move on. Um, All right. Just because, you know, I'm, yeah, because we can literally talk about this forever. Um, yeah. but we're almost at a minute and 30. We're almost at an hour and 30 minutes. So I'm going to say these two things. <laughs> My first thing is this, another advice for men. Okay. I don't care what porn has taught you. I don't mm. care what movies have taught you. Okay. Mm. It's also not an ugly versus good looking thing. I think a lot of guys are pressed on that, that if a guy's good looking Ugh. and he's, um, and then he approaches you, then it's different. No, I think that completely mm. degrades women. I, women, I think Kristen, like we've talked about this where, you know, if a man is creepy, it's not cause he's ugly. It's the vibes yeah. you get. Cause there are completely. attractive men mm -hmm. who the way they talk to you, you get those creepy vibes right away exactly so it's not a good looking or ugly thing it is just the vibes that you get so mm -hmm. if you if a woman if a woman says no to you please do not depend on that old uh, what is it adage is that how you pronounce it I that so, yeah. <laughs> a woman that a woman wants you to pursue her and that it's a test if nah. a woman says no to you it's a no yeah and if you pursue it any further you have officially moved up to the level of creep. Yep. There it goes. And that right is a red flag to a woman. And the more you insist, the more it backfires on you. And you're now officially a creep. So please don't do that. If a girl... Also, another thing. If a man... If a woman saying no to a man... Okay, a woman saying no to a man is not cause for a mental breakdown. Okay? Right. Do you know, Kristen, do you know how many times I have told a man that I found him attractive and wanted to date him and I've been rejected? Several times. Okay, <laughs> several times. Am I out here killing people? Am I out right. here chopping? Am I out here chopping off men's penises and chopping off their heads and being like mm -hmm. your old school Eileen Warnos? No. I have yet <laughs> to have homicidal feelings towards men. Right. Okay? I have a great relationship with my father, good relationship mm -hmm. with my brothers completely healthy outlook towards men mm -hmm. so you know what that is not an excuse cause of rejection is not an excuse and if you're constantly getting rejected you need to do some self-reflection and you need yeah. to be like what look. am i doing that is repulsive to women and change yes fill of god please do not listen to these fucking pickup artists just stop yes. it 
they're also creeps. They just creeps that take your money. Yeah. Um. Yes. I had to go to CrossFit to get my peach butt, and you know what? You should too. And then maybe <laughs> women will find you so gross. Okay. Um. So this this I'm gonna end it. Um. After that really long spiel. Um. So this is kind of like the aftermath of this case, and it's still pretty early because it hasn't even been a month since her body was discovered. Um, or since that she passed away, but, um, so on October 14th, which, which was actually this past Thursday, um, Mia's family and her loved ones held a funeral service at the Cooper City Church of God, and so Mia's, uh, body was finally put to rest, um, mm-hmm. and the attendees were dressed in royal blue, which was her favorite color, Aww. um, and the casket was painted blue as well, and there was an image of her Aww. on it, um, and uh, there was a, and then in the pictures that I saw, there was a pillow with a beautiful, beautiful crown on it that was like placed above the casket. Um, and then Mia's family created the Mia Marcano Foundation. Um, and this was um, created in order to help families of missing people and to help protect college students and other vulnerable populations. Um, the family um, also advocates for better safety measures, um, including a ban on the use of master keys and unsolicited maintenance use visits, Hell yeah. which I completely agree with. Um, mm-hmm. And if you are interested in donating to the Marcano family's cause, you can go to uh, Mia Marcano, sorry, Mia Marcano FDN.com to um, donate to that cause. Um, and, I'm going to cite my sources because I'm very paranoid. So I got <laughs> a lot of articles. Um, I got articles from WFLA.com. Uh, I got an article from CNN.com, which was ri- written by Gregory Lemos. Um, I got also sources from Miami News Times, uh, Orlando Sentinel, ABC News, uh, Vice.com, and local10.com and also univision.com um so that is the case of mia marcano <sighs> all right well. see now we're sad <laughs> now we're yeah. sad no, I'm mad. oh real quick yeah. i also want to say real quick i um my sources um i got my sources from ourblackgirls.com uh cnn.com Missing Black People Index HTML and FBI.gov, and I got Daniel Robbins's information from the Change.org petition that his family started um, for him. That's it. Yeah. <sighs> so should we say okay. something that makes us happy? Yes. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so I actually, okay, so, uh, one of the things that makes me happy, uh, specifically this week is this week I had a really tough week, um, Mm -hmm. because I work as a teacher and this whole teaching after a pandemic, after kids have been online for like a year and a half, um, has been really difficult with the kids. Um, Mm. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Like, it just feels like. I think me being a perfectionist and me being a teacher are a terrible combination. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, 
I had a really rough day on Friday, on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, I cried in my car on the way to work, and then before the bell rang, I cried um, mm. to two teachers, um, and it was really tough, and so tough that I had to go home early because I just, it was too much, um, mm-hmm. but then today, I had um, coffee with Ivana's mom. And um, she pretty much gave me words of encouragement. They were so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And her mother has such an exuberant spirit. And she just has a way yeah. of really making you feel seen. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it's like I love my mom. And I definitely don't want to, you know, I'm not going to say that my mom doesn't give me words of encouragement. But she's not a teacher. And so mm-hmm. there's sort of that disconnect. But with Ivana's mom being a teacher, she definitely gave me the words I wanted to hear. And I felt very validated as an educator and basically it just felt really good to hear words from somebody that really believes in you um, Mm -hmm. and thinks that you're just the greatest. And that was just really nice to hear. Um, And then she gave me some great advice. Um, So, yeah, so that was really great. Um, And I also went to the gym today after four weeks of not going to the gym due to depression and being really exhausted and today I went to the gym I kicked butt Hell um, yeah. <laughs> and so I feel motivated to go tomorrow so I'm gonna go tomorrow um, yeah so that's pretty much what makes me happy it's just kind of like I'm slowly getting my life back together but yay well I'm glad and I'm sorry you're having a rough time um, with teaching um, but I'm glad that you were able to, like, connect with Ivana's mom and get some encouragement. Ivana's mom is great. And te- y'all teachers are doing tough work. And I honestly could not imagine, like, be- being in that position. And y'all are doing some, good, like, good work and tough work and should be paid more. Yes. So, Change.org. Yeah. Pay teachers more. No, <laughs> <start the business. laughs> All right, Yvonne, uh, Kristen, what's, what, uh, what is your thing that, ma- that makes you happy? Well, just in general, like, October, October is, like, my favorite month of the year because Halloween is my favorite holiday. Yes. So just the overall vibe, like, every day, I'm just, I mean, I watch scary movies, like, 95% of the time, but I've been watching, like, I have a specific um, curated watch list watch list for horror movies that I, for Halloween that I've been watching. So that honestly has been, like, um, breaking up the monotony in my my work day, mm-hmm. um, and just listening to like Halloween music, and I bought a. Um, I was working in a lab. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and I bought a pumpkin pumpkin vanilla scented candle um, from Marshalls, which we've been burning, and it's been really nice. And I'm just loving that the weather is cooling down, so it's becoming more tolerable. Yeah. Um, to it's just know. becoming more. Sorry, no, I was, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say, I don't know how it's been in where you live, but where I live, it's been hot as heck these past two days. I'm like, this is not October oh, really? weather. Yeah, it's been really hot. <laughs> oh, but well, today it was really nice out, Um, and it was, like, not even that, it wasn't even that humid. Um, That's nice. And, yeah, and then the other thing that just I didn't realize was, I make, like, I've been, I've started therapy for my anxiety and panic attacks. And while it's going to continue being a long work in progress, because I'm basically undoing like 28 years of anxiety, mm-hmm. um, 
I may, I'm noticing like little things that I've been doing to kind of um, to manage it. And Yay. it's been, yeah, it's been making things a lot better in my life in terms of like worry and like challenging my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking of the thought errors, because I make a lot of thought errors in my anxiety and mm-hmm. coming up with more helpful thoughts. Um, so while, you know, there, there are still times where I have setbacks, but like, like uh, the other day, like, or like maybe it wasn't the other day, but a couple weeks ago, like I felt a panic attack coming on and I stopped it in a way. Like it almost got there and, and I prevented it from getting um, to its crescendo. And so I was like, wow, I, I did that. Um, Yay. Yeah. I'm so happy so, for you. Thank you. So it's, it's, you know, I'm making progress. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad because it's been a long time coming. I'm really glad that I got a therapist and I'm like getting like I'm getting the help I need to manage and live with my anxiety. So that's been making me happy. That and Halloween. Yes. I love my therapist, too. Yeah. 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 I feel like this time last year I would have had like a bajillion mental breakdowns. But this year I only had one. <laughs> so I think that's progress. Yeah. It's honestly it's the little things. And like, yeah. and same thing, like this time last year, I probably would have been like a complete mess, um, like just yeah. in general. And I'm just, I'm just really glad of like the, the little progress, um, the little progress that I've been making. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Everyone well, should get a therapist if you can. Yes, do please do. Um, even if like. I don't know what I was going to say there. But yeah, just get a, <laughs> just get a therapist. Um, I was going to say, even if you feel like you don't need one, but I guess if you feel like you don't need one, don't get a therapist. But, no, everybody um, needs it, one. People, yeah. you are effed up. And I mean that in a good way. Not in a good way, actually. Everyone's yeah. effed up. Get a therapist. Everyone. Talk it out. Everyone is. Talk it out, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Because let me tell you, like I had to do, because my thing with anxiety is like, um, I fear some things. And you I have to confront them and it makes me very uncomfortable having to yeah. like confront them through like cognitive or exposure therapy or whatever it's called yeah but it's worth it it's worth it to confront the things that make you uncomfortable so that you can that you can work on it so please like if you if you're suffering from panic attacks or anxiety depression any of that like you don't have to do it alone talk to your talk to your therapist um or go find a therapist. I, I wish know. I, could, I Yeah. I wish I could find like a directory, but I don't have one. But still, <laughs> start that step today. Well said. Yeah. All right, Kristen. You wanna All right. Wanna... <laughs> I don't know how to wrap this. We don't know how to wrap this up. <laughs> All right. Well, that was it for episode three of Melanin Macabre. We hope that you enjoyed feels weird to say but we hope that you liked it. we hope you got some information from um from what we've talked about today um so go forth and stay spooky <laughs> <laughs>